Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law, a commentator for BBC Radio 5 Live and BT Sport, and I'm joined, of course, by TV's Catherine Whittaker from Eurosport fame. Catherine, how are you doing? TV's Catherine Whittaker. I think that's the first time anybody said that. Um, I'm doing very well, thanks, David. How are Uh, you? Oh, good. Uh, I'm very well. Um, I hear that not all is well in the family of pets uh, in the Whittaker household after... Uh, your mum drew uh, uh, painted a lovely picture of one of your dogs, and Rosie's not too pleased. Is that right? Rosie's not too pleased. So, so oh, without without getting into the complexities of the the Whitaker family pet setup, uh, one of one of our uh, dogs uh, that we had for many years, Bella, who's featured in photos. She actually lives with my. Um, aunt and uncle up in Staffordshire now so we see her when she's on holiday she comes for holidays with Rosie but she's still very much our beloved dog and um, she is rather older than Rosie she's getting on a bit now she's 13 Uh, and so my mum painted a very very beautiful um, portrait of Bella for me for my birthday it was a lovely lovely gift Um, and poor Rosie doesn't understand perhaps that um you know, there's she all being well, <laughs> there should be another 10 years or so for my mum to paint Rosie, but it's difficult to communicate that to a dog. So, um, okay, so that's she, why she was looking so thoroughly, thoroughly annoyed in the picture that I saw. Yes, I mean, she right. did have a lovely weekend, Rosie. I don't want to uh, <laughs> miscommunicate the joy that uh, Rosie experiences on a daily basis. She I is see. in utter clover, so yes, and one day. She too will be immortalised um, in pastel, but today right, okay. is not her day. Okay, so before we get on to talking about Fed Cup and and Grigor Dimitrov tennis, and, tennis, and yeah. Alex Zverev and Maria Sharapova's wild card and and all the pole vaults that we've been running, any other pet news at all? I've got a new pen- tennis podcast pet, David. He doesn't know it yet, but um, I've got a cat. I've got a cat. Really? He doesn't know you what don't... he's got himself in for. Crank it. What's the cat's name? His name is Magic. He's 11. We rescued him from Battersea and he's lovely. I mean, he is cowering under a cupboard at the moment. He doesn't know what's going on, but he's only been here two days. So I'll give him a chance to get settled before um, he has his induction into the Tennis Podcast Pets Hall of Fame. Right. Magic. 
Hello, magic. <laughs> anyway, uh, I wasn't expecting that. Magic but, uh, Whitaker. Well, he's a he's a communal cat, so perhaps Whitaker won't be his surname. But it's like Magic Johnson, isn't it? Just magic. Yes, magic the, the basketball player. Right. Yes. Okay, but Magic Johnson doesn't cower underneath wardrobes. But anyway, uh, welcome to Magic. Welcome tennis podcast pets, one and all. Uh, Catherine, since we last spoke, uh, a lot has gone on. I mean. We were talking Davis Cup a week ago, should say. I mean, it's a bit of a, a, a sour note on which to start in a way, but we were talking about Denis Shapovalov's um, uh, belting the ball that hit the umpire, and that story has moved on since a week ago, and that umpire has, is now having or has had surgery to a fractured eye socket, which, I mean, we were obviously discussing at the time the severity and the danger of of what Shapovalov had done he didn't need telling twice I don't think afterwards but there was still a, a feeling in a way that we were all kind of slightly laughing it off because thankfully nothing seemed to be wrong with the umpire he was saying that he ended up looking right Rocky Balboa and, and all this kind of thing but that has taken a turn of great seriousness hasn't it yeah I understand well the the reports are that this surgery was successful uh which is great uh but obviously that's a horrible um injury to have to recover from i can only imagine uh really my mum's had a bit of eye surgery in the past and it's well i'm i'm sure anyone can imagine it's just completely debilitating if you can't see properly and it sort of affects your balance and all of that i mean terrible terrible news particularly in his line of work. Um, so yeah, all we know at the moment is the surgery seems to have been successful and um, I'm sure he's got all the support he needs in order to recover and, and um, get back full sight and everything. But yeah, it's not the news you wanted to hear. And I, I, I worry now a bit for Shapovalov if it's not the sort of thing that he can move on from, you know, I, I think, the news of the sort of downturn in in fortunes regarding the injury i think that could have really affected him actually uh, gauging uh from his response afterwards and just how um devastated he was uh, by the impact of what he had done um i think i mean obviously they're tougher times for arno gabas but i think these could be quite quite dark times really for denis shapovalov and i don't like to think of that for a 17-year-old who who basically seems like a very good kid. Yeah, at the same time, I mean, it it also does throw into light the fine he had was $7,000. And when you think of some of the fines that have gone around for, for various bits of misbehaviour or, or racket abuse, court abuse, whatever there might be, it... it <laughs> I, there are I know a number of people within tennis who just think that that is just not serious enough and we, we we mentioned Richard Ings last week who who believes some sort of suspension should have been forthcoming for this um I mean, I do feel for Shapovalov in that, that you know, he, he's clearly mortified. I mean, it seems to have had a, a really profound effect on him as well. But, I mean, this is serious. Um, anyway, it is what it is as things stand. And we, we wish uh, Arno Gabash uh, the very quickest of recoveries and, uh, and hope he's well soon. Now, the Fed Cup, Catherine, thankfully, uh, certainly is not dealt out any physical trauma of, of that ilk. It has... It has caused controversy over the, the weekend. Before we get on to that controversy, from a British perspective, we, we, we would first, I think, like to talk about 
the the victory for Great Britain, which uh, which was an excellent one and an important one, I think, because okay, it's way down effectively in the minor leagues. This is this is where Leon Smith started out really in in the Euro African zones, and um, the the way the Fed Cup is set up, they had to come through four matches over the course of four days, basically, didn't they, um, in order. To, to get through just to the Group 2 playoffs in April, which is something Britain have done a, a couple of times over the last few years. They've Both times that they've done it, they've ended up in away ties, the last one in Argentina. It, it is a, a horrible section to get out of. But they had Joe Conta, which is obviously a huge boon to the team, a top-10 player, alongside Heather Watson and Laura Robson, and they got through. But my goodness, it was close in the end after plane sailing early on. Yeah, close in the end because of well, what turned out to be a very surprising result. Uh, Joe Conta losing to Anaconda of Croatia. Um, but by all accounts, very unfortunately, and this this makes me very sad, we, we were unable to watch that tie in this country. There wasn't coverage of it um which which is a great shame i understand that it's it's far down the uh f- far down the the scale in terms of um uh the the stature of the tie uh on the world stage but obviously for us in great britain we have a fantastic team now and um we discussed last week the fed cup is especially down in those uh, lower groups is a bit bonkers to get your head around the format of it. But once you do, it's fantastic. There's just all this tennis going on. It's like a little festival of team tennis. It's really great if you invest the time to to understand it. And it seemed like a really, well, it seemed to be completely plain sailing, completely uninteresting uh, series of ties. You know, three love wins, three zero wins over Latvia, Turkey uh, and Portugal. (coughs) all going brilliantly and then um, it all came down to the wire against Croatia and uh, I know you've spoken to Anki Othervong and she explains uh, that Anna Konya just played the absolute match of her life and we know how good she can be at her best. It's been a shame not to see her at her best uh, as much as perhaps we thought a year or so when she was first breaking through but she's got plenty of time and uh, yeah, it. I mean, it was... It was good. I, spe- I mean, it would have been great, the drama, if we could have watched it. It's just a shame we couldn't. But, um, yeah, hopefully we'll be able to see the next one. Yeah, well, somebody who was able to watch it was indeed Anne Hjothavang. I spoke to her a little bit earlier. And uh, first of all, I asked her what it was like. It was um, incredible, really good. Um, obviously, the fact that we uh, won all our matches and qualified uh, was the main thing. That's uh, what we kind of set out for at the start of the week. But the whole experience um, for everyone, um, you know, I do think it was an enjoyable week. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, just I think just the drama of it all on Saturday um, just, uh, just made the whole thing even more uh, better. <laughs> in some ways yeah I mean I mean it must have been pretty stressful I can I can hear your your daughter getting a, a bit excited yes. in the background and she I mean I dare say she was watching uh, or watching the, the live <laughs> scores come in um but I mean seriously to be you you've been in Fed Cup teams for so many years it must be different to be on the sidelines and and basically not be able to actually get at the nervous energy on the court but you're you know you, you I suppose you're doing what you can 
Yeah, oh, to be honest, it felt worse being on the side, actually, because you, it's just out of your control. So in terms of nerves and trying to manage those, um, it's nothing like I've ever experienced before. Um, I mean, as a player, you're dealing with all sorts of pressure and, and everything and being there in the moment and obviously uh, trying to come up with the goods, not just for yourself, but for the team. Um, but being on the sidelines, I, I kind of feel now for every parent and coach out there watching you know, their player or kid play, because it's just, oh, at times I just felt sick and I just thought, you know, all sorts of things go through your mind and you just think, oh my goodness, you know, what what can I say? What can I do uh, to help the situation? Um, and, uh, you know, and at the same time, you're, you're trying obviously to just put out positive um, emotion and you're trying to keep a straight face when things aren't quite going the way you want it to go. Yeah, and I mean... It all was going so swimmingly. I mean, what was it? Ten matches won, ten rubbers won, all of them, singles and doubles. And Heather goes one zero up in the in the the, the final, as it were. And, yeah. And obviously, I, I mean, Joe being the 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 top ten player and an excellent player she now is. I, I mean, obviously Anna Konyu, we know how explosive she is, and she proved that in the in the match she had, but. There must have been a bit in your mind where you thought, "Oh, well, you know, this is this is just going gloriously. I don't, I'm not going to have to make it necessarily a tough decision." But that's not how it panned out. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right there. I mean, when Heather won her match against Donna Vekic, you know, we we were all fired up. Um, I didn't expect it to be, I guess, as uh, one-sided um, as it was that match. Um, and you know, Heather throughout the week from start to finish was just superb on the match court. Um, and, you know, when Joe stepped out against Anaconya, you know, Joe hadn't dropped, um, well, hadn't lost the match all week, as you would expect, being the highest ranked players there. Um, and she went 4-2 up in the first set and everything was going fine. But credit to Anaconya. I mean, she played lights out tennis. I mean, she was hitting that ball so hard. Um, and, you know, everything was working. And I, you're sitting there watching this and you think, gosh, if this girl played like this every week, she will rocket up the rankings. Um, and, you know, Joe gave it her best, um, you know, with what she had on the day. Um, you know, you could say, yes, OK, it wasn't her finest performance, but still, you've got to give credit where it's due. Um, but, yeah, sitting uh, there for that match, you know, it, it's tough. Um and um you know you know knowing joe as well as i do you know you know she's trying she's trying her hardest out there and that's all you can ask from a player um and unfortunately it's not going to be perfect every time but uh yeah i don't know i was sitting there and i was still in my mind i, I thought you know she's going to turn this around she's going to turn it around and then when it didn't happen it was a bit of a bit of a blow but the match wasn't over um and you know uh, naturally joe was pretty upset um after that loss which you would expect um but then it came to making the decision for the doubles and um you know with the way heather had been playing all week she hadn't dropped to set you know she's a fantastic doubles player so um that was a no-brainer that heather was going to be involved in that deciding doubles um but I, I did feel you know speaking to joe after her singles match she was ready she was fired up um to put things right in the doubles 
and she's our number one player and she's also a very capable doubles player. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, when do you make that decision? Had you sort of just kind of worked it out before the day had started or, you know, or, or is it a question of seeing how Joe feels herself and speaking to her? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, there are a number of different factors. Obviously, the opposition, um, you know, you have to think what whose game's going to match up better. Um, obviously, the players you've got, you need to know that whoever's going to be playing. Um, sorry, Ava's kicking off. <laughs> she's, she's the new coach. <laughs> she's been doing well. She's been doing well for the past few minutes. Um, you know, it's um, yeah, also you, you've got to factor in how each and every one of your players are, are feeling physically, and you need to know whoever's going to play that deciding match is 100% fit. Um, and, you know, you, you need to know that they're fired up and that they really want it. And um, Joe, you know, I had, I basically had 15 minutes from the end of her match to make a decision because um, those are the rules. Um, and, uh, you know, after she had a few minutes to cool off, um, you know, she was right back there and she, she wanted to play. Um, and credit to her because she, you know, that doubles match started just over half an hour after the loss of her singles and she she managed to pick herself up and both her and Heather were so fired up in that doubles as was everyone else and um, they managed to turn it around. That's fantastic, fantastic. Well, final question to ask really is about, I mean, obviously the, the format generally is is brutal. We've seen for years how Britain have, have had so many good results and then and then fallen at the last in either in that stage or they've had a really tough away draw. I think he went to Argentina, didn't you, last time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the draw is tomorrow. Yeah. What are you hoping for? <laughs> what am I hoping for? I'm just, I'm hoping for a home tie. That is what I'm hoping for. And um, in terms of opposition, you know, whoever we're drawn against, I think we've got um, a team to, we've got a team um, that if everyone is uh, fully fit. <laughs> And, and also, you can you can call up Ava if all else goes wrong. You know, you Ava can... thinks we're going to win whoever we play. Does she? Um, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's what she's trying to say. But um, whoever we're drawn against, you know, I do think we've got players who who can perform at the very highest level. Um, so you know, in on that front, it, it doesn't really matter. But I would for for British tennis and for, for the girls and for everyone involved in Fed Cup, I would love more than anything a home tie. Yeah, well, it's, I think it's 1993 last time Britain were at home in the Fed Cup. So fingers crossed for you. Uh, it's a fantastic win. Congratulations <laughs> to you all. Great Thank stuff. you very much. <laughs> Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want salon-perfect nails for just $2 a manicure. 
Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. So Anki Othavong, her first ever experience, Catherine, of um, of Fed Cup captaincy, and uh, you heard uh, her lovely daughter Ava in the background during that interview, which was a, a delight. Somebody I've met, uh, I'm happy to say, uh, when I was in Singapore at the WTA finals, and what a lovely little girl she is. Anyway, Catherine, that is uh, a job that would you must go through it. I mean, she she was saying there that you go from from one extreme to to another. I mean, it could so easily have been pipe and slippers lying back in the deck chair really couldn't it if Contra had won that singles and then suddenly you're plunged into a deciding set of of the doubles and and it does strike me that there is a problem I don't know I mean what do you think is there a problem with the setup of, of an event where you can be absolutely dominant and have won 10 out of 10 matches and then suddenly it can come down to the last one to, you know you can lose one and then be into your final one and if you if you don't win that you literally go back down to square one like like snakes and ladders and and you're there again this time next year what do you think i th- i i think there is a problem with the format of the fed cup i think there's lots good about it and i wouldn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because i think yes it's complicated but actually there is some good to how complicated it is it is intriguing and interesting but there are so many teams so many countries in those euro africa uh, zone ties uh, and yet yeah, so few places for you're competing just for the chance of promotion just for the chance of promotion uh, which is pretty brutal isn't it you're right it is it does feel like there's something unfair about it but on the other hand, it makes for fantastic drama. I can see that because there's just so much on the line and it makes every match count, which I think is really good. You know, there's been, there, I, there was a lot of uh, rage on Twitter last week, rage, perhaps an overstatement, although I think Todd Woodbridge was close to wait, rage, if you can uh, imagine that uh, scene uh, on Twitter about getting rid of dead rubbers in Davis Cups and it's embarrassment for the sport to, that people tune in and see what's effectively an exhibition match that doesn't count for anything under the guise of um, t- important tournament team tennis um, and I agree with him so you rarely get that you know it's, it, it all counts doesn't it and I think there's something to be said for that but I think we'd be burying our heads in the sand to, if we said that the Fed Cup couldn't do with a little bit of a re, revamp and rejig with regards to the format. Yeah, well, there, there are certainly going to be changes afoot over the next uh, couple of years. It seems as though they want to go um, with a with a world group, a, a bigger single world group in the future. So we'll see how that all unfolds. But it does mean that Britain are into that uh, that group to playoff in April and uh, we'll find out tomorrow as we talk to you on Monday we'll find out tomorrow who they're going to play now the the Fed Cup world group proper um, had some some interesting ties and also a really really uncomfortable moment in the USA against Germany 
Ty, if you haven't seen this, I mean, it is uncomfortable if you if you view it. But basically, uh, during the the preliminaries, the opening ceremony of that tie, they actually played the wrong stanza of the national anthem of Germany, and they used a World War Two period version of the opening stanza of that uh, rendition of the national anthem and it was it was excruciating they had a a guy there basically singing it live um and obviously immediately the german team realized what was going on and they they started to sing the correct version and tried to drown out this version as did various members of the the crowd but andrea petkovic in particular was was just totally disgusted with with what she'd heard and and uh, and described it as the epitome of ignorance and that was followed up by Andy Roddick tweeting that yeah I'm afraid to say it's the, the, there's really no excuse how, how difficult is it to check and get this right it's too easy to get right um, and uh, the USTA USTA were very quick to come out and, and apologize and. Um, make no excuse for what they'd done at all but an awful moment yeah it, it, oh, yeah there's not much to say about it really there's you know it's not a discussion point or de- a debate topic it was just a horrible uh, excruciating moment um i it'd be very easy easy to start talking about the political situation in america and, and drawing conclusions but i do believe uh, it was an honest mistake, if an unforgivable one, because just because it's honest doesn't mean it's it's okay. Because exactly as you say, Andy Roddick said it pithily, as always on Twitter. It's just too easy to get right. There's no. I'm sure a head has rolled somewhere. Uh, it is just well, yeah. And thank goodness for the likes of. Uh, I think this was something Chris Clary said, but thank goodness for the likes of Andrea Petkovic, such a thoughtful, intelligent switched on person who was there to to explain and communicate so eloquently why it was such an affront uh to the german players if it needed explaining but she did explain it extremely well and in light of that it's yeah it's an unforgivable error from there uh the united states went on and won that tie 4-0 so they're now through and they face i think the czech republic who who are on just this extraordinary run isn't it six of the last seven fed cups that the czech republic have won and they now go to the states i mean that could be a really good tie couldn't it yeah their depth is just unbelievable uh the czech republic yes they had pliskova but um, it was by no means an absolute full-strength squad for uh, for the Czech Republic, not least because Petra Kvitova wasn't there. But she did send uh, a good luck message, which was shown in the stadium uh, to rapturous applause, as I'm sure you can imagine. She looked very well in it and very upbeat, which was wonderful to see. The stadium uh, in Ostrava, I believe, uh, where it was played, was absolutely packed on every single day, which is just fantastic uh, for obvious reasons uh, and they are just the most loyal servants to the Fed Cup don't they the, the tournament loves them as much as they um, love it and uh, yeah Stritzova lost out to um, Muguruza but Pliskova um, perhaps as you'd expect uh, was uh, the hero of the tie she was fantastic um, and they get their top players playing because it's a country that understands what it can do 
for their tennis. Um, and that is great. I mean, Serena Williams tweeted her congratulations to the USA team uh, for winning through to that semi-final against the Czech Republic. I'd be very surprised if that indicates in any way her intention to play. I would be surprised to see either Williams' sister involved in that match. I could be wrong, but, you know, we're not... Um, in we're not anywhere near an Olympic year, so sort of the incentive from from that side isn't there for them to commit to Fed Cup. And I would love to see one or both of them play, but I don't think it'll happen. I mean, th- that's not to detract too much from the tie. They've got Vanderway, they've got Sloane Stevens, they've got Madison Keys, who hopefully will be back fit. They they've still got a good shout, the USA. But obviously, it would be fantastic if I mean. Yeah, imagine if both Kvitova and the Williams sisters played. I think, obviously, that's getting ahead of ourselves, but I suppose that would be the dream. Yeah, I think it's pretty unlikely that we'll see Kvitova play. I'd be surprised to see her again this year, personally, but I I know, obviously, that would be the dream scenario if it could happen. What what does strike me, though, from, from people I've spoken to over the last few months about Fed Cup and about... Carolina Pliskova, who's somebody who's beginning to, to sharp ends of Grand Slams, is that, yes, it, it's a big deal for when she reached the, the final of the US Open, but actually in the Czech Republic, it is a bigger deal for them to win the Fed Cup. And and I, I found that really interesting. That and and it and it also it ultimately comes down to your, your tennis culture within your country, doesn't it? I mean, we were in Singapore or other parts of the Far East – really value doubles more than other parts of the world and and i think that certain countries really value the team success of their nation more than an individual winning a slam yeah i think that is absolutely true i think um certain players feel that i mean i, I know mark Philippoussis, for example considers his davis cups the the greatest uh the greatest achievements of his career and i think uh, a lot of Australians often say the same. Um, so yeah, I, and I and I think the the year that Great Britain won the Davis Cup, um, I think it took us. I mean, I think by the final and after we won it, we all understood and all got on board. But I don't think. I think it took us a couple of ties. I think it took the USA tie and perhaps the the quarterfinal tie against France as well for us to really understand and embrace it we didn't come into the davis cup that year with the same um following and understanding that the czech republic go into every fed cup with i I think you know argentina and davis cup uh have the same uh, sort of relationship there are there are plenty of examples on it of it i just wish it applied to every country really Mm. so what else happened in the fed cup over the over the course of the weekend Belarus, without a player ranked inside the top 100, their top ranked uh, was uh, Andreas Sa- uh, Alexandra Sasanovich, who I think was 128 in the world uh, going into this. Yeah, 128 in the world. And then they had uh, Irina Sabalenka, 142 in the world. Olga Gavortseva, who most will have heard of, but she's she's well outside the top 100, 174. They beat uh, the Netherlands. Uh, who, are, who were last on, year's Belarus. Of course, on paper, a, a far stronger side. But it was uh, Sasnovich's win over Kiki Burton's that um, that did it. Really impressive stuff. And yeah, and, and Azarenka-less Be- Belarus are 
the surprise package of uh, of the Fed Cup for this year, without question. Uh, on the other side, we had uh, Switzerland. Well, not on the other side, in fact, because they will play uh, Belarus in the semi-final. Switzerland beat France 4-1. Mladenovic um, getting the only uh, point on the board for France in that one. France with only three team members, as I pointed out uh, last week. But they've got a very strong team, Switzerland, haven't they, with Bashinsky and Bencic and... Um, a certain Martina Hingis as well, of course. So, yeah, yeah plenty, I think it's going to be some interesting semi-finals. Obviously, Switzerland's the Switzerland the heavy, heavy favourites uh, to reach the final now. Indeed, yeah, it's going to be uh, fascinating to see how uh, those ties unfold. Now, on the uh, the ATP circuit, there were three events taking place, and every one of them yielded just the most gr- wonderful stories in terms of the winners. We've obviously, Catherine, got a little bit of a, a soft spot for what happened in Sofia, uh, where Grigor Dimitrov, in his home country, won the title. Uh, his second title of the year means he's only lost to Rafael Nadal all year long. What has he won? Like 14 matches, one defeat, something like that. And I, I don't know where I, I actually saw a, the closing stages of this match, obviously. Uh, and uh, he he was a set and five love up was Dimitrov against David Goffin. And playing wonderfully well, he then went 5-1, 40 love, three match points and got his surf broken. And you did start to think, I did anyway, back to Istanbul where he was a break up and he was match point up and he ended up losing the match and, and nigh on defaulting himself by breaking all of his rackets. And, uh, and from five love, he went to five, four back on serve and, uh, and he was wobbling big time and, and you could hear a pin drop. You'd got the whole of the, the, the sort of, organization team of the the tournament in the corner of the court the way they do waiting to come on for the presentation you know all all assembled there (laughs) and it's all going badly wrong uh, on the court uh, for a few minutes there and finally he managed to break the Goffin serve to win the title and kiss the court he was ecstatic he was giving hugs to his mum and dad and to Danny Valverde and it was it was great to see. I mean, I, I know I know that I, I'm always banging on about him, but but you know we we've loved watching him play for a long time, and yet he looked as though he was frankly throwing it all away. Maybe maybe he never will reach the sort of heights that, that we thought he might one day, but at least he's playing now like he should be playing. Oh. Without question, I mean his record for the year is uh, is unbelievable. As you say, just that one. Uh, five set loss to Nadal in the semi-finals uh, in Melbourne, which he so easily could have won. And then what? Um, so yeah, the, this is a different Grigor Dimitrov without question. That the pressure on him. Yes, it's only an ATP 250 that barely anybody was paying attention to uh, in Sofia. But the pressure on him to win that would have been immense. He is a friend of mine that works for the ATP was out in out in Sofia because it's one of their newer events. Uh, so giving it some coverage. And of course, uh, Dimitrov playing, they didn't actually confirm he was going to play there until early this year. I'm sure there were all sorts of uh, negotiations going on behind the scenes because, you know, that would be like, I mean, it would be a far bigger deal than Murray not playing Queens, which will never happen, as we know, David, because he's got a lifetime deal. But it, it would be a different stratosphere to that. I mean, he, I said, is he, is he the David Beckham of, uh, of Bulgaria? And she said, bigger, far, far bigger. He is, 
the biggest star uh, imaginable in that country. And uh, just just a quick update on uh, some gossip that I dropped on a podcast during the Australian Open. I understand he and Scherzi are back together. Just uh, to revise, my, it wasn't my gossip, it was Jim Courier's g- gossip that I just passed <laughs> along. But I feel like I should at least set the record straight and in, inform Jim Courier, if he's listening, that he was peddling um, inaccurate news. Or perhaps they broke up and got back together. Anyway, they seem to be back on. Um, what, 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 what do you mean if he's listening? I mean, of course he's listening. Of course he's everybody, listening. Everybody listens to All the big names, this. all the big names tuning in. Hello, Jim. Yeah, so I mean, it was it was it was great to see. I mean, he was a he was a set down to Jerzy Janovic in the second round, his first match of the week, and I was watching that, thinking, "Oh my goodness, this would just be." I mean, I think the tournament would have just packed up the court and gone home and and called it all off if he'd lost in his first match. I mean, that would have been so devastating. Uh, so I was pleased to see him turn that around. Uh, it was on the same day Dominic Team lost, incidentally, sigh, uh, to um, Basilashvili. Um, just quickly, before I, before I give my... <laughs> Pat uh, Dominic Team speech um, on the so you said all oh, the um, the court announcers and everything the prize givers uh, were gathering at the side of the court. It, it that always strikes me as how off putting could that be to catch that at the corner of your eye? I mean, sometimes they're really really visible the way they gather there when you're within a game or two of the end of the match, and I understand why they have to do it. But how off putting could that be? You're in a position. You're in a position. You're about to serve for it, and you look over and you go, "Everybody's there. They think I'm going to win this. I can only blow it." Now, you know, I, I was. Uh, when Dan Evans played Marin Cilic uh, and won, of course, in uh, Australia, I was um, doing the Flash interview on the court, which I think we actually ran on the, the podcast. And uh, the position to wait to do the Flash interview is in sort of the tunnel, the walk-on tunnel. Uh, it was uh, court two, I think, court two, court two there. And um, he was... a game or two away from the end he must have been because that's why we were there I think perhaps only a game away and he jogged off court to go to the loo and the loo was in that tunnel so we had to run past us and we all made made eye contact with him and it was just this very very (laughs) odd thing he knew that we were there we'd all made eye contact and I thought oh my goodness I really really hope this doesn't throw him because it could easily just take you out of the moment couldn't it I mean I can imagine it very easily taking you out of the moment. I guess that these guys are such machines, you know, so focused, so good at staying in the moment that um, they are impervious to it. But, you know, Dan Evans is less of a machine, isn't he? So I did worry that I had uh, altered or we had altered the course of of uh, tennis history by uh, by, <laughs> by being there. Obviously, you and I know more than many what it is like on the organizational side of a tournament from from our experiences at queens and i know what it's i've often been waiting in either behind doors or in corners of court trying to keep out of view but knowing that that we've got to get out there asap to organize the presentation for instance at the end of the final uh, if if somebody wins the tournament so i know why they're there admittedly i think there, there are inevitably a, a number of sort of rubberneckers as well who just have to be able to watch what's going on as well and and frankly that's something i think you have to get over and not do um but i do remember there was a, a an occasion in 1998 
when Tim Henman was playing at Queens and he talked afterwards and and I'll never forget this because he was probably talking about me and two or three other people I was with uh, and and he was certainly talking about uh, members of the BBC presenting team where we all were in the corner of the court waiting for his match to finish and he he said I became aware of them I beca- I, I maybe heard a beep of a camera or something or that I became aware of them and it put me off and 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 I've never forgotten that and I've always kept out of you ever since I tell well, you Well that's very very interesting. Another cracking David Law anecdote. Well, you know, when you've been around for the last 50 years or whatever it is, um, these things do tend to happen. Uh, so anyway, Goff, uh, D- Dimitrov managed to win. Uh, also would like to say a, a congratulations to Paul McNamee, the tournament director there, obviously long-time Australian Open tournament director who obviously just has so much experience of putting on an event and you could see i know it was dimitrov in the final so you're going to get a good crowd but it, even in what is it the second year they've held that tournament it looked like a big deal they looked like they'd staged an event that was above its grade as a 250 yeah and i believe the uh the finals weekend the saturday and sunday had already sold out uh before um uh, before the week started i think uh certainly before uh dimitrov was uh anywhere close to reaching the finals so that's a real testament to the strength uh, of that event that's great yeah uh, now in the other two finals we were mentioning um very different types of winner because in montpellier alexander zverev won beating joe wilfred songer and richard gasquet back to back which i think takes some doing on any court but let alone in france i mean the french players do tend to mop up those tournaments and 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 i think it's particularly impressive from zverev after a really disappointing davis cup weekend last week don't you oh yeah and the fact that he also won the doubles title with misha i mean that does not look great uh that that they weren't able to do that uh in davis cup uh replicate any kind of success but yeah what a subsequent week they've had just Amazing. I mean, Zverev, uh, I thought he's a future number one for a year or so now. I think ever since that match that he didn't actually win against Nadal in Miami last year. Was it Miami or Indian Wells? Uh, Indian Wells, perhaps. Um, ever since that match where he had the match point and uh, he he will... Uh, I, I'm sure the, the uh, nightmares about what happened on that much point have now been put to bed. But yeah, I've thought that for a while, but he is making faster progress than uh, than I thought, I have to say. He's really, well, he's number one in the Emirates race to Milan, which is a new thing. It's, uh, it's the hashtag next gen tour finals. It's the under um, 21s. For the under 21s, yes, or 21 and unders i believe so he's number one in the race to milan uh and uh where does he go up to in the ranking 17 i think in the overall rankings which is i mean yeah and and who going into matches now it's only really top 10 players that i don't think of him as favorite or equal to beat and that says um Everything you need to know, really, about how good he is already, and I'm and I'm constantly blown away by how good he is physically because he's a big guy. He doesn't look like he's filled out yet, but Jez Green is doing such an awesome job with him because for his physique, he moves and uses his body so fantastically well on a tennis court. So 
yeah, I mean, he, uh, there's no doubt in my mind, unless he gets some awful, terrible injury, he is destined for greatness in tennis. Well said. Um, now, the other winner was in, Ke- is it Keto? Is that how we're saying it? How else would you be saying it, Well, that's how I'm saying it, anyway. Uh, And it was Victor Estrella Burgos, is that right? Estrella Burgos, I think. All right, fine. Um, uh, Anyway, what is he, about 48? And he won (laughs) against Pablo Lorenzi, and it's the third title in succession in Quito for Estrella Burgos. And, I mean, you know, you could line up Nadal, Djokovic, Murray and Federer, and they wouldn't be able to beat him in Quito. He is probably the best altitude player in the world, isn't he? That's his speciality, which is clay uh, clay court matches played at altitude. He would have loved a Champions Tour event uh, that I did in Bogota uh, a few years ago uh, that I covered uh, for the ATP Champions Tour in Bogota a few years ago where nobody... I mean, I've never seen so many air shots in my life. You know, we had... John McEnroe and Goran Ivanovic and it was, I mean, the level of tennis was horrendous because the conditions were just so difficult and they'd all, they all hadn't arrived early enough to, to have any time to adjust to it. They just said, this is, this is unbelievably difficult, essentially a sort of slow clay court, but where the ball is flying through the air incredibly quickly um so yeah that's his speciality i remember talking to uh is it kyle edmund that played him in uh melbourne yes it was kyle edmund uh and yeah he he talked a lot about uh how much of a an altitude specialist he is so you know you can't knock it he's carved out a niche hasn't he at the age of 48 (laughs) <laughs> a slight exaggeration but he certainly is old enough now to play on the champions tour if he so wished i, I think uh but anyway uh I, do you know what I, I think i'd be quite an altitude player can we have our rematch on altitude i, I don't i mean no why not are you scared no okay so that's that then We're, well we can do it then is that right or you can do whatever you want, David. You won't have anyone at the other end of the court. Fine. I'll play Rosie. I don't care. Um, Maria Sharapova, Catherine, has been given a wild card for Madrid. Um, it is not surprising in the slightest. I think it's um, something that I think we will see happen at, frankly, any tournament she wants to get a wild card at on the tour, on the WCA circuit. I think she will get one. I, I don't think there will be any hesitation from anybody. However... I don't know about the French Open. I, I personally, I don't know why I don't have any evidence for this, but I, I have a feeling that if if she wants a wild card from the French Open, she will get one. I don't know whether you, you would agree with that. Um, on the question of Wimbledon, however, um, which she may not end up needing a wild card for, she may be able to come back in Stuttgart and play Madrid and get enough points and, and be able to get directly into the draw at Wimbledon without needing a wild card. A semi and a, and a quarter, I believe, would be enough. Right. However, there is the question mark over whether that will happen. If it doesn't happen and she would need a wild card in order to get in, I don't think it is a guarantee that she will get one necessarily from Wimbledon. Um, I, I mean, we don't know. We haven't spoken to anybody who has said that she will or that she won't. It's just... It's my suspicion that, that that is not 
guaranteed for the simple reason that I think Wimbledon do operate under different rules um, in their view to everybody else. They they don't just need to do things commercially and for the sake of of crowds and re- revenue that other tournaments would, would have to consider. And I wonder whether they will actually feel that they want to be giving a wild card to somebody who has failed a, a doping test. Um, so I put that out on social media uh, as to what people thought should or should not happen um, a pole vault. And I asked uh, the question, if she doesn't get in on her ranking, do you think Wimbledon should give Maria Sharapova a wild card? We had 1,184 votes. 40% said yes, she should get a wild card. 60% said no. Um, I have to say I'm I'm in the no camp, um, personally. Uh, I feel that I completely understand why the tournaments are giving her wild cards from a commercial standpoint. From a Wimbledon standpoint, I just personally believe that they don't need to do that and that it would be... <laughs> quite important quite something for them if they if they decided not to and and said actually you know we we feel that it's it's not appropriate for us to to give a wild card in this particular instance that's my view yeah i um i feel quite strongly about it as well that i not that they should or shouldn't but i would prefer to see them not give her a wild yeah, card that's, personally that's, that's how I, I would it. feel the same uh, about the French Open. I mean, I feel the same way about every tournament. I would prefer to see her not get wild cards, really. I think it it lessens the um, severity of the punishment if she's able to have a cushy um, re, um, re-entry into the tour. Um, I, I, that's how I feel. I completely understand why, uh, you know... The, Tennis events, sports events are commercial ventures. I completely understand why events will give her wild cards. And some of them might give them, you know, with a bit of a, a sour taste in their mouth, might wish they they didn't feel the need to. But I understand that there are commercial concerns at play and I get that. I want to see WTA tour events do well. So, I, you know, I, me standing there on my high horse going, you shouldn't give... Um, wild cards to Maria Sharapova when it will guarantee them, you know, TV coverage and press coverage and sell out stadiums. I don't think that's fair, really. You're right that the situation is a bit different for the Grand Slams because, yes, they're commercial entities as well, but they don't have the same commercial pressures, let's be honest, um, as other events. There's also the ITF factor. I mean, this is a woman who... uh, her last statement regarding the ITF was that she planned to sue them. Um, now, I don't know what the status of that is. I've not heard her say she now doesn't plan to sue them. I don't know. But obviously, uh, the Grand Slams are ITF events. So that surely has to be a factor. Um, I agree with you that I feel there's more chance that the French will give her a wild card than Wimbledon. I can't quite put my finger on why other than to sort of use sort of slightly French stereotypes like them being just a little bit more laissez-faire about things. Um, And on one hand, I was thinking that 
that I was thinking it through and thinking, well, I think the French probably will give her a wild card and that will make it more difficult for Wimbledon not to. But actually, I've revised that opinion. I now think that, I mean, Wimbledon quite likes to set itself apart from the other Grand Slams, doesn't it? Quite likes to make statements, whether it be via you know, architectural or construction-based developments or rule developments or prize money or whatever it is. They like to just, make a little statement about being a cut above the others and in many people's eyes they are a cut above all other tennis tournaments so actually I think the French Open giving her a wild card which I think they will doesn't have that big a bearing on whether Wimbledon win will I think I mean you saying it's not a guarantee that's without question it is not guaranteed I think it's far from guaranteed they might I suspect that there is division in the committee uh, about how they feel about it. I suspect there's a lot of strong feeling either way. And it's sort of ultimately, and a lot of pressures either way. I mean, can can you imagine the number of phone calls they're getting from agents and sponsors? And, you know, there are so many stakeholders in not just in tennis, but in an individual player. I mean, just look at how strongly some of her sponsors came out, you know, head for one example. There are so many people with huge vested interests in a decision like this. There'll be, you know, tons of lobbying going on behind the scenes. And I don't mean that that, that will necessarily be the swaying or decisive factor, but it's in there. It's something to take into consideration. Um, I think another thing to take into consideration is that rightly or wrongly, I think I said this before, you have to consider the scenario where a British youngster now Actually, there aren't that many promising uh, sort of young Brits at the moment that are in wildcard territory. You've got a good crop of players who are all basically good enough to get in on their own ranking. And then the the next lot are actually quite far off the pace. Um, And there aren't any brilliantly good juniors at the moment. So perhaps it's less of a likely scenario. But you have to consider the scenario where a young British player misses out on a wild card because Maria Sharapova gets one and she speaks out and says, I lost out to drugs cheat Maria Sharapova. That could be a headline in a tabloid. We all know that, rightly or wrongly, let's <laughs> not get into a discussion of um, tabloid headlines and their their ethical um uh, standards but that that is a scenario I think which could happen and Wimbledon really need to think that through and think whether they're prepared to let themselves in for all of that or whether they'd rather really keep their powder dry and Wimbledon generally over the years has erred on the side of keeping their powder dry haven't they but I certainly think there's a good chance they'll give her one but it's a long way from guaranteed I asked the opinion of Simon Briggs, the uh, Telegraph's tennis correspondent. Obviously, we are brought to you in association with the Telegraph, so we wanted to get Simon's view. He said he sees it as a grey area and may reveal whether the All England clubs see themselves as a commercial entity first or as moral arbiters. Theoretically, they can do what they want. It would be more admirable, in his view, if they held out against Sharapova and the IMG machine, especially after the way Sharapova reacted after her Cass sentence reduction, but that there are lots of politics in the sport. He reckons that Phil Brook was erring on uh, the side of 
giving uh, a, a wild card to Sharapova in their spring briefing last year in as much as he said that uh, Phil Brooks said that it would be a great shame for fans if they weren't able to see her um, but uh, Simon's view is that they should probably say no although he doesn't think it's a case of if they do let her have a wild card or if they do award her a wild card he doesn't think it's a total disgrace he he, he can see both sides of it so yeah I sort of I think that's well argued and I I agree with him really the other the other the point to make sort of a mitigation of everything I've just said is that I was thinking it through you know the point I made about it seeming unfair that she um you know the wild cards are essentially um watering down the the severity of her of her punishment because they're making it a lot easy uh, easier for a return than it otherwise would be for somebody else but then the whole system of wild cards you know the principle by definition a wild card kind of is unfair doesn't it and sometimes they're awarded sometimes it's more of a meritocracy than others but you know only four countries in in the world have a grand slam and you know they apart from you know reciprocal arrangements and the odd sort of sentimental wildcard here and there, they go to their own players. It's not an equitable, meritocratic system by definition, a wildcard. So there is that. There is that. Let's hear what you lot think about it. The yes camp that Maria Schaubova should get a wild card at Wimbledon if she needs one uh, come from uh, Anna from Sash, who says she served a sentence, so she should start with a clean slate. Vestalen said Cash ruled that this was not a case of intentional doping. She served the ban for 15 months. She should be free to comply. Pete by Wimbledon. Uh, Richard Woodward said, as a former champion and finalist, she deserves a wild card. It's as plain as that for me. Alex says she's a former champion, served a ban accordingly and conducted her press conference, accepting responsibility correctly. And Kelvin said she served a ban. I guess everyone deserves a second chance. However, I'd give her a wild card for qualifiers if I was Wimbledon, which is an interesting angle to go with. The no camps, Anderson says her conduct is not good for the sport. She shouldn't be given any help she needs to earn respect through hard work Stuart Hill well I certainly think hard work isn't an issue for her I mean given the amount of training she's clearly doing from the pictures she's been posting Stuart Hill says a wild card is a privilege just returning from a drugs ban doesn't qualify her for such a privilege Rupert says Rupert Basham says it would send completely the wrong message and diminish the severity of her actions it would tell people that it's okay to fail a test because Wimbledon says so Mr. P says, with all the players out there who haven't carelessly thrown their careers into a tailspin, uh, it's not fair. Uh, George A.D. finally says, I think if this wasn't Sharapova, the idea of a wild card wouldn't even be entertained. Well, that's probably well, true, but but she is, is but Maria Sharapova. That's and a preposterous the, point. I mean, the fact is, she's she's she is who she is. She's a former champion. She's a big name. You can understand the appeal of giving a wild card to her. It's yeah, I don't, think, I don't that think that point even did. I mean, that's, that's a ridiculous point, of course. It's, I mean, that's, yeah, it is what it is. Um, yeah, Sorry, I mean, the, 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 the qualies wildcard point is an interesting one. I, I was thinking about that as well. It's sort of, I mean, in one way, it doesn't really deal with the issue. That's sort of a cop-out. But on the other hand, you could see it as a, a happy compromise. But I think it unlikely, she might, it's a good chance she won't need a qualies wildcard. There's a good chance she'll be in the qualies zone, uh, but not in the main draw zone 
by then. She would only have to have a, a reasonably decent um, Stuttgart, Madrid. Um, I assume she'll go to Rome. We obviously don't know what's going to happen there with the wildcard, but I suspect she'd get one there. Uh, and French, she'd only have to do reasonably well at a few of those to be in the qualies qualification zone. So, yeah, I, I'd thought about that as well, and it's an interesting point, but it probably won't end up solving the problem for various reasons. Pole vault, Catherine. Excellent. Wasn't that a pole vault? Wasn't that pole vault? We got two more. We got two more. I mean, one of them's yours, so you know you can't complain when no, you it's set not. one. That was just a. You set one last point. week. I didn't. No, you deliberately set one last week about... You're making me grumpy now. Get on with it. If Wimbledon took place this week, who's the favourite on the men's side? That's what you said, Catherine. You wanted a yeah, pole I vault. Asked the, I, I, I wanted to debate it. I didn't want a... Uh, anyway, get well, on with it. Well, there's 1,066 people who do want to ha- get involved, Catherine, <sighs> with this conversation. I bet 1,065 so- of them are porn bots, David. No, they're not. They're they're genuine people. Admittedly, some of them might be me, um, but uh, one of them's me. I, I voted. Um, and anyway, if Wimbledon took place this week, who's the favourite? Forty six percent said Andy Murray. Thirty nine percent said Roger Federer. Eight percent said Novak Djokovic. Seven percent said someone else. Fine. Yeah, I, I respect the results of the pole vault. Uh, okay, and uh, the other pole vault that we had was Grigor Dimitrov will win the following before he retires. Zero slams, one slam, more than one slam. What do you think? I think he might win one slam. We haven't got a might win one slam answer. Well, You've if got I was to give pressed into giving an answer, I would say one slam. Well, 35% of the 1,066 people who voted agree with you, Catherine. What are the other numbers? 42% say more than one. Oh, crikey. Optimists. And only 23%. listeners? <laughs> only 23% think he won't win anything at all. Interesting. How different would the results of that poll have been six months ago? Yeah, very, that's, I mean, very even is the answer th- there. three months ago, I mean, yeah. cracky. Uh, I think at the start of this year, um, I think I think less than half of the the answers thought he would win anything at all um, of significance. So, which shows what, just how silly predictions are, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it's only well, long-term yeah. predictions that really <laughs> the whole podcast's a bit silly, really it? shows it all in the ridiculous light it deserves to be shown. <laughs> However, Catherine, the biggest revelation of the whole podcast is that you said after I gave those results, interesting. You're, you're being one, one over. I can, I can sense it. Right. Okay. That's uh, maybe not going to be the case. Um, Catherine, uh, we're going to be back together next week in person, aren't we? Because at the moment we're not. And uh, we might even periscope the podcast. So, you know, I better, I better actually wear some decent clothes. <laughs> we might we might right just because you uh, bought yourself a selfie stick david doesn't mean we have to make use of it but yes we might well all right fine uh, look i'm trying folks you know um, <laughs> I, I, I i can lead i can lead the horse to water <laughs> but uh, anyway <laughs> yeah i feel awful now you are trying I, I just trying. don't want to, you know, what if I wake up with a massive spot on the end of my nose? I'm just reserving the right to duck out. Catherine, you're on the telly every other five minutes. I mean, goodness sake, is this what you like? I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going I'm on a, today. I've got a spot. I'm a nightmare diva. 
Uh, it's 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 only because of the company she has to keep on the podcast, as opposed to Eurosport, where there are perfectly decent people who don't subject her to pole vaults. That's what it's about, isn't it? True story, David. True story. Uh, there we are, Catherine. I think that's about all we have for this week's edition of the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with the Telegraph. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say? Um, well, we didn't even mention uh, the Tony Nadal news, did we? I mean, I-, I think it's a bit of a non-story myself, but he has said that this will be his last year travelling on tour with Rafa. He's going to work has, in yeah. uh, Nadal's academy instead. Yeah. Although I'm trying to get the official word on that, folks, from uh, from Rafa's um, PR manager. So uh, stay tuned uh, for a an update on that. If I manage to get get the version of that, I'll, I'll either put it out on a separate podcast or I'll put it in next week's show uh, and uh, we'll see if we can get the official word. But uh, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I suspect it's just... Uh, it's it's more of a headline than a story, uh, if you know what I mean. I don't really think uh, there's an awful lot a lot changed. I mean, Carlos Moura has come on board. We know that, um, and uh, yeah, inevitably, Tony Nadal's role is probably going to get uh, reduced as a result uh, as uh, as he um, you know shares it out. But anyway, Catherine, I think that is about it for the tennis podcast. I'm going to go and have a cup is. of tea. Let's cut our losses before risk of pole vault rearing its head again. Oh, that, I Bye-bye. What, oh, what pole vault can I think of? All right, fine. Well, it's been lovely to speak to you all. Catherine, have a good day, and we'll speak to you soon. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.